announcement. And this morning I'm starting a new series called Kingdom Dynamics. Kingdom Dynamics. And I'd like to pray. Would you bow your heads with me one more time? Father, we just thank you that we can assemble, that we can assemble freely without the threat of persecution. And we are grateful for that. And as we study your word this morning, minister and meet the needs. God, just move. Move beyond us this morning and, and touch people's hearts. Those who are watching online, those in the courtyard, Lord, touch their hearts. Lord, I just pray that everybody could zero in and not be distracted by discussion or anything like that. Just zero into your word this morning as we look at it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. So I'm, my message series is called Kingdom Dynamics. And I chose a picture. This is actually from a trip uh, that Catherine and I took to Israel. And I'm standing on a bluff. And I'm looking out over the valley. Do you see the valley there? It's the Valley of Megiddo. That's where the final battle of Armageddon is going to take place. It's mentioned in the book of Revelation. And Catherine was taking pictures, and I'm just standing there. It wasn't really so much posed other than I was just looking out and I, over this valley and seeing and knowing what God's Word says, that there's going to be a battle that culminates called Armageddon. And this is at the end of the seven-year tribulation. And I'm standing there just taking it all in. and Wow. And what we're dealing with right now with the conflict in the Middle East and how things are heating up. And you've got China moving in now with their warships and ours are there and everybody's posturing and it's heating up. It's heating up. Could this be the beginning of the end? It could be. Am I saying that it is? No. But I'm saying it could be. But I just remember standing on that bluff just like it was yesterday. And, and thinking about all the nations of the earth will gather in a final battle against God. Of course, we know who wins. So this message today is called Search Into Truth. It's not a mistake of grammar here or grammatical structure. Search Into Truth. And there's a reason I put it that way. God's put within a, all of us an innate desire to search for truth but this message is called search into truth and we're going to pick up where we left off in Matthew chapter 13 verse 44 read with me the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field in his excitement he hid it again and he sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field this is a parable, and Jesus continues. We're going to go through a, a number of parables this morning, and he's teaching in that fashion of, of parable. And there's a common interpretation of this particular parable. Let me read that verse again. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again, and he sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. So the common interpretation is that this parable is that the sinner finds Christ and he gives up all his possessions to gain or find Christ. I found Jesus. 
And he did that to be saved. But that's not at all what the context is of this passage. To begin with, Jesus is not a hidden treasure. He's the most popular of all historic figures. Everybody knows, pretty much everybody knows who Jesus is. And yet, sinners can't find Christ. Romans tells us, Paul tells us in Romans 3.10 that there's this blindness, this stubborn blindness that we have. It's the Savior. It's Jesus who finds the sinner. And I know in our vernacular and how we communicate, the language that we use, we often say, I found Jesus. But it's really Jesus that, that finds us. I want you to know that. In fact, the depth of that is amazing because even while we were in our mother's womb, God's plan for our life was established. And so, that's something deep to think about, isn't it? The Gospel of Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. It's Jesus who sought you and I and saved us. It's Jesus. So, myself, Pastor Jeff, our internet pastor, and Pastor Sean who leads us in music, leads our youth group as well. We went to a conference this last week. Many of you were aware that we were going there and you, you prayed for us, and I certainly appreciate your prayers. It was our state convention. We're part of a group. It's called the California Southern Baptist Convention. And some of you are thinking, oh, I didn't know we were Southern Baptists. Well, let me explain something to you. I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church. I was invited to a concert. And of course, it was rock music and I was there. And uh, I heard the gospel for the very first time. It was during the Jesus movement. 1975, I heard the gospel for the very first time. And, and uh, Jesus saved me. I didn't find Jesus, He found me. And so we planted a church in 1994. God gave us that uh, calling to do that. And we are very much non-denominational in our style. Remember, Catholic background, got saved at Calvary Chapel. We, we embraced or partnered with uh, Southern Baptist. So we're kind of messed up. Well, let me just own that. I'm messed up. But uh, that's, that's who we are. And so this last week was the, the convention. We represent 2,300 churches in California. And um, I wasn't necessarily planning on going because it was a long drive up to Fresno. And, and God keeps me pretty busy here at Eagle Ridge Church. But I was called a, a month or two ago and asked to speak at the pastor's conference. And so before a convention, we have a pastor's conference. It's three days, two days for the pastor's conference, about a day and a half for the pastor's conference. And I was asked to be the first speaker. And I was given the assignment, we were all, there were five pastors. We were given the assignment to preach on Elijah and the different facets of his ministry and how it represents you know, the ministry of, of, of being a pastor in many ways. 
But I was given the first verse and the topic that I was told to cover was Elijah's boldness. Go figure. Elijah's boldness. And I'm glad I got that one. But I was told we each only had 10 minutes to preach. And that's not easy. I want you to know. It's a lot easier to put together a 30 to 45 minute message than it is to preach a 10 minute message. It really is. And so it went through a lot of revisions and stuff because I had to get rid of all the fluff. And I don't typically think I have a lot of fluff in my messages, but I couldn't have any. I needed to come out like a racehorse with a cadence that just, I had 10 minutes and I'm talking to pastors. I don't need to explain much about the passage or the hermeneutics or the context. They get that. I just needed to get right to the message of Elijah's boldness. And, um, and it was a tough message. It went through a lot of revisions. When I first wrote it, it was extremely tough. And what I mean by tough is it was hard. I was hard on the pastors. And I, I encouraged them, or really, I don't know that I encouraged them. I exhorted them to, to stand up and get involved and, and, and get beyond their church doors. You know, a lot of pastors tell me, well, God's not called me to politics. And, and so I addressed that. I addressed the culture that we're in. You know, I addressed a lot of things. You know, I reminded it in the 30s, late 30s and 40s, World War II, and how the church in Germany and Europe was silent during Hitler. They were silent. Oh, we don't get involved in politics. And so they stayed silent. And six million Jews died. So I, I spoke to that. And I certainly appreciate your prayer. I don't know if they'll ever invite me back. But uh, I wanted to encourage the pastors to, for us to band together and really speak the truth, not only in our churches, but out in, in the public square like Elijah did. By the way, Jesus said the most famous, most important prophet, you might think it was Moses or Isaiah or Jeremiah, but he said it was his cousin, John the Baptist. And what did John the Baptist do? He got in the face of Herod, the governor, because he, he just called him to the carpet. And so God's called us to do the same thing, to make our world a better place. And Luke says, the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. It's important for us as pastors and people who know the Lord to get out that message of truth. Getting back to this passage, no sinner could ever, the parable says that he purchased the field but no sinner could purchase salvation. It's not biblical. You can't purchase, you can't earn your salvation. You just can't. But I want you to know in this passage where the man purchases the whole field, the field is the world. It's symbolic for the world. And that's the message here in this parable. The Old Testament many times is used to, as symbolism or to assist us in interpreting the Scripture. And so in Exodus 19.5, I have it on the screen, the treasure's the nation of Israel in this parable. Now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure. That's God speaking to the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. You'll be my special treasure. In the New Testament, we see that God's people, the Jewish people, are identified as His own special treasure. 
So it says, now if you will obey and keep my covenant, God says, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples of the earth, for all the earth belongs to me. God does whatever he wants. And someone might say, well, why are the Jewish people God's chosen people? Why are they his special treasure? Because that's what God said. doesn't matter what you think. You know, and I know a lot of people, there's a lot of hatred towards the Jews. Listen, there's a spirit going on. Can I just be frank with you? There's a spirit going on on our college campuses and they're marching and stuff like that, these young people. And they're pro-Palestine, they're pro-Hamas. We learned last week that that word Hamas is violence. It's a Hebrew word for violence. There's that spirit of violence. There are people marching, marching in favor of the butchery that took place on October, was it 6th or 7th? Seventh, and, and they're in favor of that. You've got this small sliver of land. You've got all these Islamic nations, huge, vast arrays of land in this small sliver of land called Israel, and they don't have a right to exist. It's insane. There's a spirit, may I say it's the spirit of stupidity that's across our land right now. It's just plumb stupid. There's no common sense. And re- Israel doesn't have a right to defend themselves. I don't agree with everything Israel does, but God's Word tells me to pray for the peace of Israel. We certainly need to pray for the peace uh, of that whole Middle East. But listen, you've got the Islamic uh, nations that border Egypt, Jordan, Lebanon, uh, the Gaza Strip area, the Palestinian people, and none of them are taking in, they're not taking in their brothers. I thought they were a religion of peace. Somebody needs to speak the truth. This is insane. There's no common sense. There's a lack of common sense in our nation who, who the current administration sends money to Iran and we send money to the Palestinians and Hamas takes it and uses it for weapons. It's stupid. That's the only answer. It's evil is what it is. And so God has His people. Look, there is a plan for the church, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but there's also a plan for Israel. And there's a a theology that's going on that's been going on, I think, since even before uh, the late 30s, 1930s. But it was rampant in Europe at the time when Hitler took charge. It's called replacement theology. If you believe in replacement theology, you're wrong. And after service, we can go arm wrestle. You're, you're wrong. Replacement theology is the idea, the concept that, that believers of Jesus Christ replace all the covenants and promises to the nation, of, to the Jews. It's replacement theology. That's why most people who believe in replacement theology aren't interested in all about what happens to Israel. They don't care because they're not special in God's sight. That's contrary to the Word of God. There's a place for the church, large C, born-again believers, and God's special treasure in Israel. There's a plan. It's throughout Scripture. You can't deny it. And replacement theology is demonic. It just is. You don't, if you believe in replacement theology, you don't understand Scripture. That's just my opinion. Look what it says in Psalm 135.4. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself. Who was Jacob? His name got changed to what? 
Look what the verse says. Israel. Israel for his own special treasure. Israel was placed in the world to bring glory to God, but it failed. Last week I shared with you, the Jewish people are stiff-necked. They're stubborn. And you might think, oh my gosh, I can't believe Pastor Steve said that. But listen, so are you. You're stubborn. You're stiff-necked. They, they are a picture. They're symbolic of who we are. They really are. And, and listen, they became a nation hidden, a treasure not being invested to produce the dividends for God. They're the hidden treasure. The nation of Israel, most Jewish people, they don't recognize Jesus as Messiah. He, he showed up in their land. By the way, Jesus was Jewish. Hello. He showed up in their land and, and, and they, didn't see, they saw Him face to face and didn't recognize that He was Messiah. With all the miracles, all the amazing things that He did, they didn't recognize. They were hard-hearted, stubborn. They're the hidden treasure. And Jesus gave His all, His all. Jesus gave His all to purchase. Not just the Jewish people, but the whole world. But in a special way. But in a special way, He died for Israel. And we see that. The prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 53, verse 8 says that. I'll read it. Unjustly condemned, He was led away. No one cared that He died without descendants, that His life was cut short in midstream. Talking about Jesus. Prophet Isaiah says in the Old Testament, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people, for the rebellion of Israel. So this morning I want you to know that the church is, is the pearl. And we go and we move to verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When, when he discovered a pearl of great price, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. It's known as, the, in some of your versions, the pearl of great price. The pearl represents the church. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. The church are those saved believers who accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And in spite of what the enemy is doing, he's moving rampantly right now. It's not even subtle anymore. Christ is still forming His church. People are getting saved. They're heaven-bound. Their names are being written in the Lamb's book of life. And Jesus sold all to purchase His church. He gave His life. That's everything. To pay our sin debt. He paid everything. His life. And listen, there's nothing that Satan can do to take that back. There's nothing that Satan can do to take what Jesus has done for us. Just remember that. You don't have to be afraid of them. But there's only one church. There's only one church. It's the church of Jesus Christ. It's the pearl of great price. And though there's many local churches, there's many expressions of the church big C. But listen, not everyone, not everyone that's a member of a local church is part of the one church. I shared with you multiple times the first time I had the opportunity to preach on a Sunday morning. I was an associate pastor, and the pastor finally, he, he says, yeah, can you preach? I'd love to. I would love to. I was chomping at the bit, and one of the things that they didn't do at the church that I was out at that time is they didn't do altar calls. And, and so I asked, may I do an altar call? And I kind of walked through what my message was about, and he said, certainly. 
But I, I was blown away at the end of the message I did an altar call. And one of the, it was a church plant, one of the founding families, one of the core families came forward and accepted Christ. It was like confusing to me. But they had never been given an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior through prayer. And, and so they did right there. And, and what that told me is not everybody that comes to church, you just assume that everyone in here is saved, especially a core family that's helped start the church, right? But it ministered to my heart that anytime I teach, I want to give people an opportunity to accept Christ. And so this leads me to the next parable that Jesus expresses or teaches in verse 47 and 8. He says, again, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that's thrown into the water and, and caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it up onto the shore, sat down, and they sorted the good fish into crates, but they threw the bad ones away. Look what it says in verse 49 and 50. That is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous. If you look on the screen, that's that same picture that I showed at the beginning, but it's artistically distorted. But you can still make out the bluff that I'm standing there and I'm looking out the valley of Armageddon. And at the end of the age, the angels are going to gather up. You know, there's going to be tribulation saints. God's going to rapture the church before the seven-year tribulation. So we don't have to worry about the battle of Armageddon. We won't be there. But there's going to be people left behind. Some of them will be family members, friends and neighbors, people you love, people you work with, people that you care about that have never heard the gospel or they rejected the gospel. There's going to be a final battle of the nations congregated there in the valley of Megiddo and Armageddon, the battle of Armageddon. That'll be the, the conclusion. And Jesus shows up and, and, and the tribulation saints will be those who get saved. There's going to be a revival during the tribulation, but they're going to be martyred. They'll be beheaded. There's going to be intense aggression towards anybody that becomes a Christian during that seven-year great tribulation. It's going to be horrible. The Antichrist will be in full swing, full power. The mark of the beast. All those things are in place right now. They're in place to be implemented. I believe that. This final conclusion comes with Jesus coming. And, and, and uh, it says right there that He's going to gather the believers. And He's going to separate the believers from the unbelievers. And that, that gathering, is, that's the gospel net in the parable that Jesus is talking about. You know, I don't like, just for the record, I don't like Halloween. You're not supposed to hate, but I hate Halloween. I don't like it. And that's a whole me another message, and I'm not going to waste time with Halloween talking about Halloween. And I know it's fun for kids. I get all that. I do. I get all that. And we're casting a net, a net out tonight. We're having a harvest party, trunk or treat. And there's going to be families from the community. It's been advertised on social media. I'm totally cool with doing that. Some people go, why do you even honor? I'm not honoring Halloween. I'm providing a safe alternative for families to come and get candy. No weirdness. And we're going to throw out a gospel net. That's what this parable is about. That net is the gospel. It's the truth. We're just going to love on people. There, so, so, there are going to be people here tonight that uh, 
have never set foot on the campus of a church. And, and they're going to meet you. And they're going to go, wow, these Christians aren't bad. Pastor's a little different, but... <laughs> but we're throwing out a gospel net. And, and that's what it is. In Matthew 13, 50, it says, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. At that final hour, there's going to be that separation of, of people who gave their heart to Christ and those who rejected Christ. And, and we see what's going to take pl place. Jesus talked graphically about what hell is going to be like. And when Jesus returns to the earth, that fight, the battle of Armageddon, that we see in Revelation chapter 19, verse 1, He's going to separate the believers from the unbelievers. And that's what's going to take place. And here's what Jesus said, completing this series of parables. He asked, he asked a question to His disciples. Look, look at verse 51. Do you understand all these things, He said? This was important. I mean, when Jesus stops and, and looks at you, and that's what He did, do you understand what I just said? And their response is what? They said, yes, we do. You see, when you hear the truth, when you hear the gospel, when you hear a, a teacher of the Bible or a pastor proclaim the truth of God's Word, it, it moves beyond just the hearing and it invokes a responsibility. Understanding involves responsibility. Please know that. You can come to church Sunday after Sunday. Somebody said, boy, uh, Pastor, I hope you're not driving people out of the church by what you said. Here's what I said. You want me to repeat what I said for a service? I'll save it for next week. <laughs> Cliffhanger, yeah. Listen, you can keep coming to church hearing the truth, hearing the words God, Word of God and studying God's Word, but there comes a point in time where you have a responsibility to get into the Word of God, study the Word of God, spend time in prayer. And I was hard on the men this morning. I said, men, you need to be the leaders of your home. You need to be the, you need to be the spiritual leaders of your home. There are no excuses, guys. No excuses. That's what I told the pastors. There's no excuses for you to speak the truth and quit affirming all the evil in the world. Speak against it, but do it in love. Give people an option, an opportunity, really, to accept Jesus Christ. Men, be the leaders of your home. Bring truth. Bring God's Word. Pray. Lead. Lead in prayer. Lead in prayer. Be men. Maybe you weren't raised that way. I wasn't. Be men of God. Watch what happens in your family. Watch what happens in your marriage. Watch what happens in your children when you lead in that capacity. And, and ladies, if you have a man that's not stepping up to the plate, pray for him. Pray for him. That's what my wife did for me. I wasn't stepping up to the plate. Pray, 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 pray. Pray for your man. Pray that God moves in His heart. That God breaks His heart. That He stands on God's Word and leads your home well. Amen? And then watch what God does. God will answer that prayer. I don't, I'm not sure how many good men are out there. And if you're la ladies, if you're single, you may want to stay single. 
Matthew 13, 52. I'm not even going to follow up on that one. Then he added, listen, I will follow up on that. We have a wimpy, demasculated population that don't even, these guys don't even know if they're men or not. They're not even sure if they're males. What in the world's going on? So men that are in here, you and I, we need to lead by example. There is a clear, definitive difference between a man and a woman. And you got too much time on your hand if you're there scratching your head wondering which one you are. <laughs> you need to get a job, get out of your mom's basement, and get busy. Start producing. Men, God created men to produce, to work. To sweat. Amen. Enough of that. <laughs> Verse 52 in Matthew 13 says, Then he added, Every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the homeowner who brings from his storeroom, I love this, new gems of truth as well as old. That is so awesome. Teachers mine for gold. Jesus is talking about the scribes that were introduced into Scripture during Ezra's time. The scribes, you know, they didn't have a kinkos. They didn't have a staples. The scribes wrote out the law, the first five books, the Torah. They wrote out the Word of God. And, and what happened was over the years, what, what a noble cause to be a scribe. But over the years, it, it degenerated into a routine task of of preserving traditions and man-made interpretations. And, and, and it was adding burdens to the lives of, of the people. Luke, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 11, he talks about that. They were so wrapped up in the past that they ignored the present. They ignored the fact that God sent His Son to create a relationship with God, a living God. And instead of sharing the living truth of God's Word, they merchandised dead doctrines. These were the scribes. And so Jesus says, I love it, I'll read it again. He says that uh, they, uh, every teacher of religious law in verse 52 who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the homeowner, the homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old. So the new gems are the new covenant of the teachings of Jesus. Those are the new gems. And, and teachers mine for gold. Isn't that beautiful? We have the truth. And, and for the sake of time, I'm just going to end it right there because you and I have the truth. We don't need to go looking for it. It's already there. We don't have to create truth. It's already been established in God's Word. Just tap into it. The truth is there. Everything you need to know, everything I need to know is in God's Word. God sent His Son over 2,000 years ago. He took on all of our sin on the cross. He didn't stay on the cross. They buried Him. He didn't stay in the tomb. He busted out of the tomb to give you and I life. Life! Are you living life? God's given us abundant life. He's given us over three, six, seven thousand promises in His Word that you and I are recipients of. And so the time is coming close. The time of the end is drawing near. And we need to tell our family members, our loved ones, 
the truth of Jesus. Sometimes you just need to have a heart-to-heart talk with tears in your eyes. I want you, I'm praying for you that you come to know Jesus Christ. I don't want to spend eternity without you. I want to spend eternity in heaven with you. Have that talk with your loved ones. The time is drawing close. And God's given me a passion to tell you that He loves you. He loves your family members. And you have a message of love to tell your sons and your daughters and your grandchildren and your parents and your neighbors. Tell them that God loves them. God loves you. What's going on in the Middle East is something we've got to pay attention to. The time of the end is coming close. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank You, Lord, that we can come together and study Your Word and and be challenged. Lord, we thank You for the challenging that comes through the Word of God, the correcting that comes through Your Word to help us strive to be better followers of You, Jesus. And Lord, I just lift up everybody here right now. I pray that everyone has a relationship with You. But there may be somebody here this morning, somebody watching online, somebody out in the courtyard. There may be somebody here this morning that was like me when I walked into a church in 1975 and I didn't know the truth. I was headed to hell. And I heard the truth of the Gospel that I must repent of my sins and accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Acknowledge who He is. And you may be that person like I was and not have a relationship with the Lord. You may have a religion. You may look nice on Sunday, but you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And I'm asking you, I'm asking you to give your heart to Jesus. He'll write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. He'll forgive your sins. And He'll begin through His Spirit, the sweet Holy Spirit, to work in your life and do amazing things in your life. And if you'd like to give your heart to Jesus Christ or rededicate your life to the Lord, I want you to pray this prayer right now. Dear Jesus, I believe in You. And I ask You to forgive me of all of my sin. Jesus, I believe that You died on the cross. I believe that You rose from the grave. And I now ask You to be my Lord and Savior. Take full control of my life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. Amen. Amen. If you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, I want to congratulate you. Would you please text the word pray to the number you see on the screen? And if you don't have a phone to do that or the ability to do that, then fill out a connection card. They're distributed throughout the building on the tables. Let me know what kind of commitment you made. And and I want to continue to help you grow in the faith of, of Jesus Christ. Let's all stand to our feet. Make sure you go out and sign up for a 15 minute prayer slot for next Sunday. And then remember tonight at 4 o'clock we start our trunk or treat. You'll be pulling down past the church on Melvin Road. It's a dirt road. It's okay if you get your car a little dirty. And just pull down in the lower parking lot because the upper two lots are going to be for all the trunks and candy for the kids. Amen? Listen, I'm going to hang around if anybody needs prayer. Some of our leaders will be available. Two things. You're dismissed right now. Go pick up your kids. 
And the praise team is going to close in song, but you are dismissed right now. God bless you. Bye-bye.